We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organized chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting Intelligence Squared too. That's notion.com slash squared. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Hello podcast listeners, Connor here from Intelligence Squared. We have a special bonus episode for you today in partnership with the world-leading trading provider IG. Many of you may remember last year we spoke to Joshua Mahoney, Senior Market Analyst at IG, about how COVID-19 was shaking up the markets. Well, now that economies are starting to open up again, we thought it'd be great to get some insight from Josh about how the markets are reacting and what investors should know about big trends set to shape the economy in the coming months. If you want to find out more about IG and the world of investing after you listen, you can click on the link in our podcast description or search IG today. Now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared podcast in partnership with IG. I'm Linda Yu, economist and broadcaster. My guest today is Joshua Mahoney, Senior Market Analyst at the online trading platform IG. We're here to discuss the markets in a post-pandemic world. Welcome, Joshua. It's lovely to have you on again. The last time we spoke, COVID-19 was shaking up the markets in a big way and working from home technologies like Zoom, as well as Amazon and Netflix, they were looking like the big winners from lockdown. Are those companies still the ones to watch as workers begin to head back to the office and society start to open up? Yeah, I mean, look, understandably so. We've seen some of the heat taken out of those so-called stay-at-home companies. It's it's different across the board, really. I would say as a whole, technology has been a little bit under pressure. And that really comes as we see inflation rising. We see a shift in terms of monetary policy expectations and question marks around about those sky-high valuations that we do see across those tech names and whether they're justified in a world where we might see the central banks actually start to pull away some 
of that support. Certainly the rise in yields has been something that points towards the potential for outperformance for value stocks over so-called tech names. But nonetheless, it's something that's going to come on a company by company basis. For example, we've seen the likes of Zoom come off over 50% since its high. The likes of Amazon, it's, it, it's such a mainstay in terms of an investment that it's the kind of company and you're not really going to bet against, but it certainly seems to be treading water for the best part of six months now. Whereas Netflix really does seem to manage to continue to push onwards and upwards, despite the fact that people are leaving the home. It does feel like the company has has become a, a mainstay within everyone's household at the moment. And they do, for my mind, have the possibility to be able to increase margins as we go forward. And so they've continued to push onwards and upwards. So really, it is a, a relatively varied experience when you're looking at some of those major winners throughout 2020. Lots of interesting things there, Joshua, I want to come back to, especially around um, this value versus growth and inflation. But first, let's chat about energy and COP26. I mean, that's certainly on everybody's minds, and that also has implications for investment and for markets. Um, in China, we've seen the economy slow as coal and natural gas prices reach record highs. And in the UK, we've seen fuel pumps running dry petrol stations, and indeed, petrol prices at the pump also hitting record highs. Is there a wider market story to be told around energy right now? I think that it's it's one of the most important issues to be addressing at the moment. Frankly, everyone wants to move towards green. But what we're seeing is this huge jump in terms of fossil fuel based energy sources. Like you alluded to, the likes of natural gas has been rocketing of late. The 15 months leading into October saw a 330% rise in natural gas. And we have seen that quelled somewhat from Russian promises to be able to export more to Europe. Um, But I think that this isn't necessarily over quite yet. Certainly, if we look at what might be the kind of driving factors behind that, one thing was that we did have a, a relatively cold winter last year. And so it really does put question marks around about what what's happening for this coming winter. Uh, we also have seen different regional effects. So it, say in around about the UK, we've seen a, a somewhat of a lack of wind around North Sea. And that rings or brings question marks around about whether the renewable sector is really re- ready to be able to provide the, the mainstay of uh, the energy source for the future. Now, it's, it's worthwhile noting that if you're looking at, say, wind energy or solar energy, it's not something that is consistent. Of course, the wind can blow more or less at different points in the day and the sun can shine more or less at different points uh, throughout the year as well. And so you're looking for baseload effects. You're looking for that baseload energy, which is why you often see the likes of China, for instance, burning coal, because that's the thing that's reliable. As long as they have coal, they always have energy. And so there's question marks about that baseload effect and where that baseload energy is going to come from. Another significant factor was the Hurricane Ida last year. And so we saw disruption around about that. We've seen bottlenecks over in Russia. So a whole different range of factors. But there's a wider story aside from natural gas. We have seen, of course, like like I was saying, a a cold winter. Um, But really that has a knock-on effect in terms of inventories uh, of oil and oil-based products. And as you see inventories dwindling from rising demand from a cold winter last year, and therefore we saw significant demand that time around, we're seeing us moving to a new winter where we don't necessarily have high levels 
of inventories. And therefore, if we were to have a cold winter, then you're again going to see further pressure put on prices for oil-based products and natural gas going forward. Now, we've already seen Goldman Sachs saying that oil demand is nearing record highs already. And like I said, we could see a ramp up in terms of demand going forward. And really, a lot of this comes back to a lack of investment. We've, of course, seen a lot of money moving into green projects and renewable energies. Um, But part of that is that people have left behind the fossil fuel energy sources and investment in that perhaps a little bit too easily. And it's something certainly uh, that I think for investors, it's worth keeping an eye out for. We here in the UK have seen it in the fact that we've seen record highs in UK petrol prices over in the US over the last year. They've seen petrol prices or gasoline prices 50% higher in terms of your sort of mainstay markets, WTI at a seven-year high. And certainly that has a knock-on effect because around about 50% of gasoline prices is impacted by the underlying crude oil price. So certainly in terms of what's happening for the wider market, you need to be looking out for what's happening in terms of energy prices. How is that going to impact different things within the markets, whether it be margins and the like? And certainly as we move forward, the kind of things that you want to be looking out for are what's happening on a supply and demand basis. On the supply side, you've got OPEC. They're the mainstay when you're looking at the the potential uh, source of newfound supply. And it seems they're very happy raising production by 400,000 barrels per day each month. And despite the fact that Joe Biden's pushing it for them to do more, they don't necessarily want to do so. More recently, you're hearing, hearing from the Saudis saying that they don't necessarily think it's the right idea because, of course, things could turn around and all of a sudden there's a massive oversupply. So we don't think we're necessarily going to see a huge amount extra from OPEC anytime soon. On a shale perspective, they don't necessarily seem too interested in it either. I think it seems that rather than investing in new wells, it seems like they want to pay out their shareholders first. And certainly it's the kind of sector where you're going to see increased difficulties in raising funding for new project because, like I said, everything's about ESG at the moment. It's not necessarily about investing in new crude output. So certainly big questions ahead. The weather is going to be key. We've already heard about this new El Nino weather pattern coming through in Asia. That means the potential for colder months ahead. And so if you wrap all of that up, you're looking at the potential for supply to really underperform against demand as we continue to push towards a a fully globalized world. And what does that mean in terms of businesses? Well, it means higher costs. It means lower margins. It means consumers don't necessarily have as as much disposable income. So that's not going to be particularly great for businesses as people don't necessarily have as much to spend because they're spending a lot more at the pump. And then from a wider perspective, it's talking about higher inflation. What might higher inflation do? Well, it puts pressure on central banks to act. And certainly we have that from the Bank of England. Yeah, no, indeed. I do want to come back to that, Joshua. But just before we leave energy, I do want to touch on COP26 because you've outlined there some very challenging, I think, demand and supply conditions coming together. But we do have some of the world's major governments coming together at COP26. So this is the meeting where governments are looking to have a shared climate goal. So how do you think the green transition, which is this transition to a net zero world, How do you see that evolving in the coming months as indeed we would all like to reduce emissions? Yeah, I mean, look, 
COP26 is certainly going to grab the headlines, but it's come at a bad time. Like I said, we, we've got different parts of the world that are really struggling with their, their lack of energy. And so for you to then bring all of those leaders to a table and try to get them to commit to bringing down their emissions, it's going to be a tough sell at the moment. Now, certainly people were expecting it and, and, and the transition is always going to be towards a, a more green world for the long term. Um, but certainly... For the near term, I think it's going to be very difficult to get agreements at a time where you're seeing the Chinese, for example, having to close factories because they don't necessarily have enough energy to be able to keep them open. So for you to push more hardline limits on the amount of carbon emissions that they're going to be able to emit, that's going to be difficult. So certainly it's something that will be grabbing the headlines. Whether we see those kind of agreements, that the required agreements to be able to push us in the direction we need to go, that's going to be something that we'll have to keep an eye out for. But I guess the skeptics amongst us would probably say, well, even if those agreements were made, what's the likeliness that these countries are actually going to stick to it? You've already got Russia, China, Brazil, India and Australia all labelled critically insufficient in terms of their emission reduction, the US labelled insufficient. And so there's some big question marks around it. And I think it does really shift the focus towards the question mark of how are they going to bridge the gap between fossil fuels, which seemingly is the past, and green energy, which at the moment, renewable energies just aren't necessarily positioned to be able to account for the mainstay of the energy source that, that we require. Hmm. I think the UK was labeled almost sufficient. So that sounds relatively Something. better than, uh, than some of the ones that you've listed. But just finally, before we do move on to inflation and some of those other issues, how does this push towards green energy? How does that inform investors looking to create a forward-looking portfolio? Because as you say, fossil fuels seem to be looking back. It's difficult, to be honest, because everyone has seemingly already position themselves for the future. And, and what we're seeing at the moment is that people are now starting to realize that perhaps the opportunities are, in a way, looking back, certainly over the near term anyway. But longer term, ESG investing and investing in, in the green future is going to be the direction to go in if you're holding things for a long period of time. And certainly, if you're looking at the way that funds operate and money managers operate, they generally want to be relatively ESG compliant because then it sort of ticks a box so that people will want to invest in them. And they're not necessarily going to want to be moving towards fossil fuels per se. Instead, moving towards a future where everyone's driving electric cars and we're reliant more on on batteries and bioplastics and alike. But I think for the near term, we are seeing uh, people realizing that some of these fossil fuels are undervalued in terms of what we could see going forward. I expect to see further upside in terms of the likes of crude oil and some of the underlying products as well. Certainly as we move towards a, a period where, like I've said, I don't think shale are necessarily going to be doing too much. The OPEC seem to be only willing to, to raise production a little bit on a month-to-month -month basis. There's going to be a question mark coming into play, and we're already hearing it around about exactly what we can do. And we're already seeing from a number of countries this move towards nuclear. And I think that's going to be a really interesting bridge between the two sides here. You've seen the likes of France and the UK and Japan talking about the possibility of either reopening nuclear plants or 
creating smaller nuclear plants. Now, I expect to see a ramp up in terms of the uranium price, and that seems to be something that some of the major players within the area are also looking out for. Kazatom uh, Prom, which is the, the biggest producer out there, they're expecting prices to hit 80, 90, uh, so 80 or 90 dollars before they start trying to step in uh, and maybe quell that upside a little bit. Now, that's double where we are at the moment. So you're already looking at a potential doubling of uranium before they start to step in. So everyone's preparing uh, for higher uranium prices. And therefore, for me, I think that is likely to be the bridge where we don't necessarily have major uh, output in terms of emissions, uh, but we do have that strong baseload energy source that I was alluding to earlier. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Fascinating. So let's talk inflation. The UK's latest figures for inflation are for September and it shows that prices rose 3.1% and it is widely expected to rise further on the back of some of the factors that you described. So in fact, actually, do give me your take, Joshua. What are the, you know, how, how would you analyze the inflation picture? And importantly, do you think it's transitory or permanent? There's there's so many factors that go into it. I would say a lot of it is going to be coming down to COVID, really, and and the fact that it's really given the world a sort of jolt in a number of different ways. Now, of course, one of one of the underlying factors behind why the fact why we've seen such high inflation is is the energy prices that we've alluded to before, and unfortunately, that doesn't seem any like it's going anywhere at the moment. But also, we've seen this ramp up in, in demand post-lockdown. And that comes off the back of the fact that, yes, some people may have lost their jobs, but a lot of people were, were paid to stay at home and didn't necessarily have 
anywhere to spend their money. You couldn't go on holiday. You couldn't go to a show. You, you, you couldn't go to a restaurant. And so people are sitting on a huge pile of savings nationally and globally, and there needs to be somewhere to spend that money. So there's there's a willingness to spend. And, and as inflation rises, there's a willingness to actually pay higher prices. Now, if you look at, say, your local restaurant, it, from my perspective, appears to be the case that prices have gone up very significantly because they are trying to make up for lost earnings over that period of time. Now, you talk about whether something's transitory or not. I don't necessarily think that once they remake the money that they've lost during lockdown, that they're suddenly going to cut their prices by 20 to 30% and, and get back to where they were before. So that I think there's there's likely to be an element of it that that's certainly going to stick around. In terms of some of the other factors that we've seen coming into play in terms of, say, transportation and the like, and, and some of the prices for sort of underlying assets and input prices. I think that's probably more likely to have a more transitory element to it, but it's probably going to take some time to settle down. Certainly, there's been some big headlines recently about truck drivers here in the UK and a the lack thereof, shipping problems in terms of getting ships to the right places at the right time. Then input prices, we were talking a lot last year about lumber prices. Of course, we're talking now about energy prices, but also things like coffee and oats and uh, and cotton, soybean, you name it. Think prices have gone higher. And, and this is a wider theme of, of physical assets becoming more expensive. And I think that's going to be a theme going forward as we move towards the back end of this year. So, you know, if you're looking at that inflation effect, what's that doing in terms of the economy? Well, it's creating less disposable income, like I was saying, slower real wage growth and, and shifting that monetary policy outlook. And all in all, that's not necessarily great if you're looking at the sort of wider picture for the markets. Mm. So just picking up on that point, do you expect to see central banks raising interest rates soon? The interesting thing about this is the fact that there's very different stories depending on where you're looking. Now, certainly the Bank of England appear to be around about the front end of the curve where they're not only expected to raise rates over the near term, but suddenly you've got markets pricing in the potential to see a series of rate hikes that would leave, lead us to move above 1% in the next six months. I think that's somewhat getting carried away with ourselves, quite frankly. But nonetheless, I think the Bank of England is in a position where it's likely to be raising rates. Of course, the Federal Reserve are talking about tapering, so it feels like it's one step at a time over in the US. But we've already seen the RBNZ over in New Zealand raising rates on the 6th of October, whereas we're expecting Australia, on the other hand, to be holding off for, for some time yet. So we're seeing a, a wide range of, of outlooks. And certainly ECB continues to tout this line of saying that it's going to be a transitory rise in terms of inflation, despite the fact that it keeps moving higher. So that in itself creates a very interesting picture for traders out there because as you see interest rates rising in one area and it doesn't rise in another area, so you introduce this carry trade effect where you actually benefit by being long one currency over another uh, from an interest rate differential perspective. So that should give us some, some good volatility in particular in relation to the FX markets. You've talked quite a bit about businesses and the impact of a number of these factors on the economy. Can we just talk for a moment about retailers, some of the businesses that have really seemed to be struggling with these issues? There's rising prices, there's um, difficulty in hiring staff. Do you see this becoming or continuing to be a major issue in the coming months or could it fade? 
um, sometime next year? I think it will likely be transitory, so to speak. But I think that this is this is a, a really interesting theme coming into Q4. Now, of course, retailers, many of them have been hard hit over the years anyway. Certainly the, the idea of the death of the high streets has been a, a key one over recent years. And now this just feels like it's, it's the latest issue to resolve because certainly here in the UK, we're having difficulties finding people to deliver goods. And certainly if we're seeing them potentially not getting the the right people on board in terms of being able to get their goods to people, then they're really not taking advantage of the demand that appears to be there. So the story at the moment isn't necessarily a question of are people willing to buy products? It isn't necessarily a question of are businesses willing to hire people? Instead, it's a case of can we get the products to people and can we get products into the shop to allow people to buy them? And on the job side, it's a question mark of can we get the people to fill those positions? The interesting thing around that was the the latest jobs report. It really felt like if the number was low, which it turned out to be, it wasn't necessarily going to be a case of people aren't willing to hire. It was a case of they haven't found the right people. And certainly with the fact that we've got record vacancies over in the US, that that theme is certainly going to be crucial as we move into one of the most important periods of the year for retailers. Of course, the festive period is where everyone buys presents and that could be a problem if they don't necessarily perform well in Q4 when that's a period where they're expecting to do so, that could be a problem. On the flip side, you could say, well, actually, if they manage to really look after their supply chains, people maybe wouldn't necessarily expect uh, hugely discounted prices, and in which case their margins could be higher. So it really feels like uh, somewhat of a short-term make or break for retailers um, that I think is going to provide significant volatility, but significant risks. If we do see near-term downside in terms of those retailers, it might provide us with a longer-term buying opportunity for people that are willing to say, well, look, in one year's time, in two years' time, this probably won't be a problem. But certainly for the near-term, I'm looking for significant volatility in that area. So that leads me nicely to uh, the next question I was going to ask you, which is which sectors will be at risk in this very uncertain environment and which will be best placed to benefit from it? So we'll do it in two parts. Um, you mentioned their retail, maybe on a, maybe on a value basis. It looks like, um, it's something to, to look at, but generally, which sectors do you think will be at risk first? I would say that retail is one of the major ones, as we covered. Another area that I'd probably allude to is airlines. Now, we're seeing reopening within the sort of international travel realm. And therefore, in some ways, this is a great opportunity. We're seeing the back of this virus, and suddenly this feels like the moment where the airlines are really going to be able to go on full blast. At the same time, you're seeing, of course, this ramp up in terms of costs and uh, from a, a, an energy perspective and question marks around about what their margins are looking like. Of course, you're seeing significant competition across that area. And unless we actually see some sort of consolidation, which had been suggested earlier in the year, perhaps tongue in cheek by Ryanair, chief who said that EasyJet should get bought out because that's how they're going to be able to operate best. But the fact of the matter is where you see really high competition, small margins, and then you see a ramp up in terms of costs, that's going to be a risk. And of course, another risk is what if we see another variant come out and suddenly we see uh, fresh lockdowns. We've seen more recently Morocco blocking flights from the UK on, on rising cases. 
you know, every time you feel like it's over, it seems to come back to buy us. So that is, for me, still a risk, despite the fact that things seem to be perking up a little bit. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it, Joshua? <laughs> okay, so now, what are the sectors best place to benefit from the current environment? Like I alluded to earlier, I think one of the, the areas to be looking out for is physical assets. Now, inflation for an investor can be a negative thing because if inflation's, you know, 10% in a year, then you need to make 10% on your portfolio just to be flat. And so the question mark is, what do you do when you've got rising inflation and how do you keep up with that? Well, the answer in my mind is to invest in something that is going to inflate. And those inflationary pressures appear to be moving in the in the commodity space. And therefore, commodity-based assets, I would say, are probably going to be uh, something that continue to look attractive as we move into the back of the year and into the new year. Like I said, uranium for me, I think is a very interesting one um, because there is this sort of squeeze and an answer needs to be found in terms of finding a, a reliable energy source for the next, you know, five to 10 years as we transition. So that's a particularly interesting one for me, but, but really across the board, if you can gain some sort of decent exposure to commodities, I think it, it gives you a good way to be able to move alongside the ride in terms of inflation and benefit from that. Another area you're going to want to look at is going to be the banks. Of course, we're seeing uh, many of these banks being able to claim back money for losses that they were expecting, but they didn't necessarily have to undergo during the pandemic period. And alongside that, with the fact that we're seeing people with flush with cash, willing to spend money. Central banks have really been pumping. We've seen very supportive governments as well. The economic outlook is good, but also we're looking for higher interest rates. And certainly from a UK banking perspective, it always seems to underperform the US in part because of the fact that we have a greater sort of reliance on investment banking over in the US. And as markets move higher than, than the trading the side of the businesses over in the US can do very well. But I do think the UK is looking particularly interesting at the moment where we're looking to see the Bank of England moving ahead of many of the others in terms of interest rates, of course, increasing margins. And therefore, you know, many people are talking about the FTSE being undervalued and European stocks being undervalued. I think if we see the Bank of England raising rates and we see the economy continuing to grow, then UK banks are a good place to be. Really interesting stuff. So we are out of time. Uh, but finally, Joshua, let me squeeze one more in, which is what advice would you have for our listeners who are looking to learn more about how to protect their investments or take advantage of new market trends? In terms of protecting investments, a lot of it's going to come down to an element of diversification. Don't necessarily stick all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. In terms of where do you find new trends? Where do you look for new ideas? Twitter's always a useful place to be, but of course there's millions of people out there with a with a view. And so it's it's really trying to nail down the people that you think are to be trusted in terms of their view and then trying to really look look into that in greater detail once you find any information off of that. Of course, we we provide uh, analysis on the IG side, so both on our website and our platform where you know we will try and put forward to you any of the ideas that, that I've been talking about today. And, and you know, just as an insight of the kind of things that I've been talking about recently, you move with the times. And so recently been writing about coffee and uranium, like I said, lumber and natural gas and iron ore. And so really there's been a big focus for me at the moment around commodities more so than it has been uh, for a long time. And certainly it's, it's 
a case of trying to find those opportunities and find those areas and try to look in depth into those areas over time. Some really great advice there, Joshua. Look, certainly looking in depth, I think, for listeners is really helpful because obviously um, there's quite a lot going on here. And uh, it's professionals um, like you who are spending all your time looking at it um, that uh, probably should be followed more than maybe some others on Twitter <laughs> um, for tips. But thank you very much <laughs> to thank Joshua you. Mahoney from IG for a great conversation. Uh, we've talked investment. We've talked inflation. We've talked interest rates. We've talked COP20. And I think um, there's been a, a lot of really interesting uh, insights. And I think this is a particularly volatile and uncertain time. So thank you for taking the time to speak to us. So I'm Linda Yu, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thanks for listening to this episode of Intelligence Squared, brought to you in partnership with IG. Founded nearly 50 years ago, IG is the world's number one provider of financial spread betting and contracts for difference, products that give ambitious retail traders instant access to a huge range of financial markets. There are more than 17,000 markets to trade on the IG platform, covering equities, stock indices, currencies, and commodities. Many of these markets remain available outside of normal trading hours, with weekend trading on major currency pairs and stock indices. And don't forget, there's pre-market and after-hour trading on more than 70 popular US stocks like Tesla, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix. See it, IG it. Opportunity awaits. All trading and investing puts your capital at risk. 66% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.